0: Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for Gary. We want to thank you for who he is. God, I want to also thank you again for his preparation that he's taken to get into what you have for us this morning. I thank you that you have a specific word for each person this morning. Would you help us to have our hearts open and our ears open to hear what you have for us? And God, may the words that come out of Gary's mouth be pure and be truth, Father. And would you cast away anything that's not of you? And, and not what we need to hear this morning. God, I thank you that he is faithful and he is here, and we just thank you that you strengthen, me, strengthen him as he delivers this message today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Gee. Hey, we, where's Nate? We should be praying for that poor bloke. He'll be in damaged control seeing his childhood blankie ripped up like it was this morning. What what would you ask permission, sort of? Yes, I'm doing this. Is that okay? (laughs) Wow, be like Linus. Imagine taking Linus. Anyone remember Linus? Three people. Well, hey, remember this book? And who reads uh, a literal Bible in in this room? Anyone? Yep. Okay, two or three people. Yep. that's okay. Don't feel bad if you don't. If you're reading it on your phone or your iPad or whatever, okay, as long as you're, you're reading the Word of God, that's good. But uh, when I dragged this out, because I just use the app all the time, and I thought, no, th- this has been a faithful old Bible for many years for me. And uh, it's special. And there's a, there's a note in there. ...from an officer who wrote a note to us when we were commissioned in 1978... ...still sits in there and a little blessing that she put in there. So it's a special book but I've got to share this with you. I dug it out and there was mould on the cover. Now is that embarrassing or what? I felt rebuked but I thought well I'm reading the word... ...but it's a long time since I've opened this literal Bible... So, dare I read from it? Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus in a new or by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Great verse, great passage there from Hebrews. And uh, I just want to talk today a little bit about that that curtain in the temple. But first of all, I've got to acknowledge Andrew and Melissa who are doing it tough. Let's, let's think about them for a second. Okay, that's long enough. <laughs> Sitting up there in Caloundra, probably had their morning swim. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Melissa. Hello, girls. Last week, he gave this very passionate word on the message of reconciliation through God's acceptance because the father has already rejected his own son on our behalf, or in our place, when he carried all of our sins, all mine, all yours, at Golgotha. Anyway, could we put up that first slide? Thank you, Adam. There you go. How many people in the room this morning still have curtains in their house or the unit or where they live? You got curtains? A few people have curtains. They seem to be disappearing, right? I get the dust, so everyone's got blinds or shutters or whatever. We've got blinds and shutters. We must be rich. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, the only time you've probably seen a curtain like that, it probably wasn't in your lounge room. You're probably sitting in a theatre and you're waiting for a band or a musical or a play or a movie or something like that to happen. And we've sat there waiting for it to part or to be raised to reveal what's behind it, what special thing is back there. Can you imagine if just one person in the audience was selected and they said, okay, you, you get to come behind the curtain. Everyone else, just talk amongst yourselves. That is crazy. Of course it is, because you paid good money to go and see Midnight Oil or (laughs) any other legend band. But we're going to look today at another significant thing in this timeless story that we retell every Easter, at least. This timeless story is what we might call a dangerous idea. If you've ever watched the ABC program uh, Q&A for any length of time, you'll know that they have periodically hosted an episode known as The Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Anyone heard of that? The Festival of Dangerous Ideas. It was co founded by the Ethics Centre and the Sydney Opera House in 2009. And they have invited panelists from a range of backgrounds and opinions uh, to debate the radical, the ridiculous, and the revolutionary. About 2,000 years ago, the Jewish nation was confronted by a very dangerous idea, which some of them admired and others rejected. Their response being to torture then nail this young Jewish man to a piece of wood to slowly die over a period of six hours for allegedly being a heretic, a madman, a revolutionary who challenged the accepted religion of the day. This young bloke left a small number of followers behind who dared to believe his claims of being Yahweh's only begotten son. In 2014, Peter Hitchens, who is a British journalist, took part in one of these festival of dangerous ideas. He's worth Googling, by the way. We're going to play a bit of this, if we can get it up there. Thanks, Adam. It's very quick, so don't... Which so-called dangerous idea do you each think would have the greatest potential to change the world for the better if it were implemented? Peter, the most... The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ was the son of God and rose from the dead. And that is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. I agree with that. Just quickly, uh, I think you can't really leave it there. Why dangerous? I can't really leave it there because it alters the whole of human behavior and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from a meaningless chaos uh, into a a designed place in which there is justice and and there is hope. And therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work towards that hope. It alters us all. If we reject it, it alters us all as well. It is incredibly dangerous. It's why so many people turn against That's what you call opportunity, eh? Taking opportunity, using his celebrity as currency to say something very succinctly and slip it in there. And you can imagine what Germaine Greer thought of that, she was sitting right beside him. Hello. Pretty radical idea. The day this radical Jewish person died became more and more weird by the hour. If you read the story or heard it a number of times. First of all, he's got a sign over the top of his head which says, King of the Jews. Pretty odd for someone who's being punished as a common criminal. Throughout the day, this son of Mary and the carpenter from Nazareth, Joseph, uttered seven things while he's nailed to a cross in total agony and confusion. He says these things. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's to one of the other guys nailed to another piece of wood beside him who got this revelation. This guy is who he says he is. And he says, remember me. So that was Jesus' words to him. Then he says to his best mate, John, and his mum, he said, woman, here is your new son. In his agony, he still... Totally obsessed and passionate about reconciliation and ownership. People being the scriptures say that God places the solitary in families. You see evidence of that in churches like here all the time. People who maybe have no family or no sense of belongingness and they find a place in God's family. So he said, woman, here is your new son. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I'm thirsty. He said, it is done. And finally, he said, father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So this is getting a little weird. A guy who's dying with his last breath, he's talking to people and saying things. Then from midday, to make it even more weird, there's a total eclipse of the sun for three hours. And as he dies, something else of huge significance happens inside the Jewish place of worship. Luke records it in his gospel. He said, By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Now, this is not your average curtain. Can we flick some of those slides up there? Thanks, Adam, first one. No, the the other's first. Yep, that's someone's portrayal of the curtain in the Jewish temple. And another one. Yep. No one is allowed beyond there except the high priest, and he only got in there once a year. Just leave that there for a sec. Uh, He got in there once a year, and he had to come in with the blood of an animal to atone for the sins of all the Jewish people. He was the only one allowed in there. But on this day, thanks, Adam. There. Another portrayal. I mean, we couldn't get a photo. Sorry about the photo. But uh, can you imagine the confusion amongst the Jewish community, amongst the leadership, amongst the religious people of that day? See, they were very dependent. That's enough, thanks, Adam. Uh, They were very dependent on their historic observations and their rituals. And now they had a terrible dilemma. The Holy of Holies was ruined for their Sabbath the next day. And this curtain is 60 feet by 20 feet. It's as thick as a man's hand. And it takes 300 priests to lift it into place. So it's not your average curtain like we had in our lounge room up in Brisbane back in the 70s. Lovely shade of orange. It was the 70s, I said, didn't I? <laughs> orange with sort of a gold fleck, I think, running through it. Down, wasn't it? Gold fleck. <clears throat> Nothing like that. This thing, this is the mother of all curtains. And it is there for a reason, and that is to keep people out and to remind people of the holy nature of God. Only one person per year could get in there to stand in the presence of God, and that was the high priest. It was a physical, visible barrier indicating that access to God was strictly prohibited because of his holiness. I think we make two mistakes about our thinking and our response to God. One is that we think he's so untouchable and so holy that he couldn't dare have anything to do with me. And essentially that's his nature. But the other extreme is we treat him like a best buddy. Me, mate, me and God, we're like this. Well, one day we're going to stand before him, and I don't think it'll be, mate. The writer of the song, I Can Only Imagine, nailed it, I reckon. He says, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? when I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still? Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. What has changed for us from that moment when with Jesus dying on the cross in your place and my place, and this curtain, this significant curtain being absolutely torn to shreds from the top to the bottom, only God can do that, was that we suddenly have confidence, as Hebrews 10 said, to enter the holy place. And that's accomplished by the blood of Jesus. Now, friends, the sad thing about this tearing of the curtain is this. The church maintenance team would have shaken their heads in disbelief, slowly walked in and said, look at this mess, and set about putting another curtain in its place. Now, they could do that because they made two a year. They had a spare. They carried, well, carried. (laughs) They kept a spare. So there would have been... A lot of panic on that Friday night, getting a new curtain up so that people could worship the next day on the Sabbath. Otherwise, people would just wouldn't dream of walking into even the outer court. There was a special court there for women, sorry girls, and Gentiles. See, everything about the Jewish temple screamed separation. Separation, a representation by one male. Sadly, that's something what religion, that religion tends to do, is put up barriers. And that's not why we are here. Since that day of cosmic significance, all followers of Jesus are commissioned and compelled to do all we can in Jesus' name to tell everyone that we can, through faith in Jesus, have unlimited access to this holy God as our loving Father. Not just ordained ministers, anointed leaders, commissioned officers, generals, commissioners, popes or rabbis. Every single person on this earth has the opportunity through faith in Jesus and claiming the blood of Jesus as the cleansing we need. We can enter the presence of a holy God and be there in his kingdom forever. Hallelujah. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top the bottom. So the barriers removed. In the last couple of centuries, many a philosopher has noted the profound sense of alienation that invades all of society. Men and women alike feel a powerful disconnect between each other, as well as between themselves and their occupations, society and purpose. While secular thinkers suggest a variety of causes and solutions to this worldwide phenomenon, Christians are well aware that the fundamental alienation that gives birth to all other separations is man's estrangement from his creator, correct? There's this God-shaped hole and you can fill it with anything you think might work and it might dull your senses or it might temporarily make you feel good. It doesn't replace what we need to be reconciled as Andrew said last week, with the one who created us in the first place. No, I said that. (laughs) Did I tell you it was 60 feet long and 20 feet wide? You can do the math to convert it to metric. We've only been in metric since 1966, but hey. My surfboard is six foot eight long, the surf culture, oh, I'm getting off the track, <laughs> we stick with feet and inches and surfboards. Why? I don't know. But I'm comfortable with it. Such a curtain had ne- could never be torn in two by the hands of men or women. Only God can tear apart a curtain like that. What I love about it is that we now have access through Jesus, not because of any virtue of our good deeds or church attendance or anything that we take pride in. We have access. Now, the dear old Duke died a couple of days ago. Have you seen enough about the Duke yet? I'm over it bloke seems to be a, been a good bloke I'm not knocking him you know but Prince Philip is dead he's gone Finis does ender for over 70 years there would hopefully have been times when he no doubt had plenty of access into the presence of Her Majesty when they were out of the spotlight they were after all married I wonder if she ever said you may approach the throne And I can imagine him closing the door and saying, Liz, you're taking yourself a little too seriously. Come on. Give me a break. Now let's have some breakfast. What would it be like for we common folk, the hoi polloi, to enter Buckingham Palace? Major Tom was invited there not too long ago before he died. Remember? The old fella? I wonder if she had to say, Can you hear me, Major Tom? That's the token rock and roll quote, okay? Actually, I wondered who was going to fall over first. (laughs) The Queen's knighting him and he's standing there like this. (laughs) Ah, beautiful man. The Beatles were granted an MBE each back in the 60s, so they would have been escorted into the presence of Her Majesty. I wonder how you'd feel sitting there inside and have her say to you, what can I do for you? to know that she has the power to grant my request. It would indeed be a privilege, but it is not likely to happen. The Queen is a very important person, and I'm descended from convicts. And I'm not really a British subject. I live in the colonies, like all you blokes and all you ladies. (laughs) I do not have the standing in any sense to gain an audience with the Queen of England. It does not belong to me. But in the eyes of God, I have standing through the blood of Jesus to enter the throne room of heaven and stand before or kneel before this holy God who loves me in a way that I cannot fully get my head around. Now we can go directly to God any time as long as we go in the name of Jesus claiming nothing but the blood of Jesus as the only ground of admission. In 1994, Andrew Humphreys and I got to wear a little black armband with, with Access All Areas written on it. Did you know that? <laughs> Special. It was the three-day Black Stump Festival down at Appen, and uh, we were ferrying Tommy Emmanuel and his family and band around for the weekend, so we had Access All Areas. <laughs> so we got to stand on the side of the stage there while he's playing, and some security person says, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm with Tom. <laughs> and it was a great privilege and we didn't take it lightly. Friends, we now can have access all areas in the kingdom of God because of the shed blood of Jesus, because of the broken body of Jesus torn for you and for me. doesn't get any better than that. If we can learn anything from the story in John chapter 4 about Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman at a well outside of a town called Sychar, it is this. Nationality, culture, gender, your lifestyle or your past no longer prohibit you from stepping into the presence of this omnipotent, holy God who opened the way by taking on human form and wearing your and my penalty for our collective sin. How good is that? I mean, he was standing there. He was tired. It's about 149 kilometers from Jerusalem up to Galilee where they were going. So this is no just stroll down the road. And it's about midday. They sit down and it's outside the Samaritan town. Now the disciples would have been pretty edgy about going through that area to start with because the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get on, right? A lot of disdain, a lot of alienation. So Jesus sits down by the well and there's a woman coming out in the middle of the hot day to get water. And whether he knew it by discernment or just used his cultural knowledge, he says, no one comes out in the middle of the noonday sun except mad dogs and Englishmen, right? And this woman comes out to get water in the middle of the day and he engages in conversation asks her for a drink. She's amazed. She's thinking, hang on, I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman, and he's talking to me. He was reconfiguring, rejigging how we do relationship. To him, he's going, I don't care whether you're a Samaritan or a Chinese. We're all God's kids, and we're all alienated, and we're all needing to be reconciled with our Holy Father, and that's what Jesus was talking about to her. You've got to feel for the disciples. They had to go into Sychar, that town there, to buy food. That would be a bit freaky, wouldn't it, eh? Like walking into the Broncos dressing room to get something. No, forget it. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6 says that our anchor, this hope we have, is an anchor. And it's firm because it's lodged behind the curtain in the very presence of God. We have this anchor that cannot be moved. The Lord Jesus, who was our high priest, opened the way into the presence of God. We're going to sing a song in a sec, so after the band was to come up. In 1834, Edward Mote wrote the words of a poem that became a famous gospel song. We're basing this song on these words. It says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness not mine, it's not my deeds, it's not my membership in the Salvation Army. Anything I've achieved, anything I've said that's been good, doesn't count. I'm totally depending on Jesus. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Then the second verse says, When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. It's the presence of God on Christ the solid rock I stand if it's possible you feel such a great weight of sin that you wonder if Jesus would receive you perhaps you think your sins are too great your transgressions are so many you've slipped so far you've walked away you've cursed him you've absolutely alienated yourself from him It's okay. Because Jesus took all of that alienation and all that crap and all that sin and all that disobedience and all that anger and whatever else it is that we wear on his body, on Calvary. We don't have to pay for it anymore because he has done it. It's just a matter of trust. Don't let your stuff keep you out of that holy place. So what keeps you feeling on the outside? Is it anger, is it abuse, hate, low self-esteem, fear, ridicule, skepticism? So the invitation today, friends, is to do one or two things. First, to confront our own fears, which haunt us and prevent us from enjoying an unbroken relationships and total acceptance of a holy God who has opened the way for you and for me and to have access all areas in God's kingdom secondly perhaps you might like to come and pray for someone else you're aware of who needs to experience this sense of total welcome into God's presence through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ so there it is while the band sings, think about this. It might be for yourself or it might be for someone else. but there's a place here for people to pray, or if you want to be prayed for you could stand here and I'll pray for you. It'd be a privilege. But we now have access all areas. The curtain is down. It's gone. and it's because of Jesus. Once for all. Let's sing.